This podcast was produced by Morley Radio. Welcome to Artcast Season 2, Episode 5. Just a reminder, you can listen back to Season 1, which includes previous seven episodes on the Morley Radio website, which included Artist Support Pledge founder Matthew Burrows, Goldie, and Morley Chelsea alumni Susan Collis. The first four episodes of Season 2 are also available with Andy Holden, Russell Shaw Higgs, Mira Kalix, and Barry Rygate. Artcast is a podcast presented by Matt G, artist and subject leader for fine art at the Chelsea Centre as part of Morley College. The decision was originally made to do this in January when I saw photos taken from the polio outbreak in the 1940s in America where students were remotely being taught by radio. And it's an informal discussions with artists, designers, musicians about their work, lifestyle and how they adapted during lockdown. The aim is to disseminate material for students by limiting screen time and providing information while they take a break from the screen. Because of the last season beginning in the January lockdown and then in the months that followed there still being some form of restrictions, I was unable to invite students in. However, I am now. So today I'm delighted to welcome Ethan Hamilton from the Extended Diploma in Fashion and Theo Cohen from the Level 4 Foundation Pathway in Fashion. Hello. (laughs) So it's great to have you here. Today, I'm delighted to have Helen Kirken, who is based in London and makes handmade one-off bespoke trainers from waste material. The pieces are very tactile and sculptural and very distinct with their individual features that show an aesthetic of cut and paste or sort of mashup where logos and specific forms are teased out from the surface. Helen went to the Royal College of Art, where she studied MA footwear, accessories and millinery. We've also got a millinery department here at Chelsea, actually. Helen Kirkham Studio was founded in 2019 at the centre of the organisation. They specialise in made-to-order, where you can hand over two to six pairs of your old-use trainers, which are then deconstructed, upcycled and repurposed into a completely unique pair. Signature techniques are then used to create these. Helen also runs an online sculpture workshop where there is an emphasis on the value of materials we would normally waste through graphic, shape and style. These can be signed up on her website, which is helenkirkham.com. And there's also products available such as these really good uh, inside out socks. Helen has collaborated with a huge range of companies and individuals, including Gucci, Lacoste, Reebok, Adidas, Melissa Core, Bethany Williams, Matthew Needham, and one of my favourite artists, Takeshi Murakami. She was part of the recent exhibition at Design Museum, Sneakers Unboxed Studio to the Street. Helen won the International Talent Support Prize in 2016 and also won the Vogue Talent Award. And previous exhibitions also include Beasley Designs of the Year 2020 of Design Museum, Playground for Design of Sneakers, which is at the Museum of Decorative Arts and Design in Bordeaux, Design for Different Futures at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, a Sneaker Collab at Mudak Museum of Design in Switzerland. So yeah, hello, welcome. How are you doing? Hello, that was such a good introduction. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here and be chatting to you today. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So I kick off all of the episodes with just asking what's your favourite colour and why? Oh, I think orange, either orange or like a cobalt blue. I like the collab- the combination of the two together. That's like the kind of go-to 
HK colorway. You'd love this table that we've got. <laughs> yeah. Bright orange. I can see a little um, bit of orange in the corner <laughs> there of Ethan's. Um... Quite a bit of orange on my trainers today. Yeah. <laughs> I also ask people if they listen to any music or if you have any sort of music that you listen to to get you in the working zone. Yeah, definitely. I find music really helps me, although I do listen to a lot of podcasts in the studio. But when we're in as a team, we usually have playlists on. I have, I actually have a Helen Kirkham Spotify, if anyone's interested. But we have a few playlists on there, playlists called like Make That Shoe. And then there's one like Studio Calm, like Studio. So it depends on the mood. I listen to quite a lot of kind of grungy, like punk music. So usually it's quite aggressive in the studio and it helps me to you know, get that, finish that shoe that I've been um, procrastinating on for a while. And how many people do you normally work with in the studio? There's three of us in the team. So I have an intern and my assistant and me. Could you talk to us a little bit about how you started and maybe go through your initial projects, which was called Our Public Youth, which you were commenting on the footwear industry? Yeah, definitely. So I always studied footwear. So I did footwear BA at the University of Northampton, and then I did a footwear MA at the Royal College of Art. And even before that, I think you said that one of you studying foundation, but I did art foundation before my BA as well. And even there, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to get into footwear. I kind of was interested in fashion I was interested in product design I was interested in art and I didn't really know like where to place myself and I actually stumbled on footwear by accident because I thought I wanted to study fashion I went to kind of exhibition called graduate fashion week which is in London where there was obviously loads of different um, fashion universities there and I saw the University of Northampton and I saw their footwear department and I just suddenly thought oh shoo is perfect because it's product design, it's art, it's architecture, you know, it kind of fits everything. And before that, I didn't even really clock that shoes were a thing that you could design. So I think once I once I kind of got set, got focused on that path, I was kind of went all guns blazing down that avenue, really. And yeah, so started doing everything in my art foundation was to do with shoes. I was making like plaster casts in old, you know, shoes that I got from charity shops. I was making shoes out of wire. I was making painting shoes, drawing shoes, like all the different pathways that you have in your art foundation. Just everything was to do with a shoe in some, you know, even life drawing. I was just like drawing everyone's feet. So that's kind of got me on the footwear pathway. And then, yeah, I did my BA in Northampton, which was amazing. It was much more traditional footwear. So obviously they have loads of footwear factories out there and it was incredible because I could work with like churches and chinis and a few of those really traditional British shoemaking factories and then I graduated from there and I went on to my MA and even going on to my MA was like something I didn't really I, I didn't have a clear path. I think I've never really been 100% sure of like my path. I just kind of do what I think is right in the moment and just keep going, keep going to the next thing. And I remember even with my MA, I won a competition called the Worshipful Company of Cordwainers, which is a livery company in, in London that focus on shoes. They do a competition called Footwear Student of the Year, which I applied for and I won. And with that, you win some funding. So I won the money. So I was like, all right, then I've got funding. So I'll go to RCA. So like everything's just been like one kind of step after another. But yeah, then I got to RCA. And I I think there, what was interesting for me is trying to unlearn a little bit everything that I'd, I'd learned very traditional techniques, I'd learned, you know, amazing pattern cutting, and how to kind of build a shoe in the correct way. So I think when I got to my MA, I was really interested in seeing how I could, you know, deconstruct things a little bit. Can I challenge the traditional ways of making and seeing seeing if I can change that? And that 
that kind of led me on to making sneakers, which I'd never made before. And uh, yeah, working with deconstructed products, really. So yeah, that's how it all started. And with the recycling centres you work with, am I right in thinking that you only work with odd shoes as well? So like rather than a pair? Yeah, I try to. So I work with a recycling centre called Trade. And basically when I first went there, it was actually part of my, my MA. I wanted to collect old shoes because... I wanted to learn how to make sneakers and I didn't know how they were constructed, but I knew they were constructed differently to, you know, traditional shoes. So I just wanted to cut some up really to see how they were made. No one would give me their shoes. No one would give me their sneakers to cut up. And so I went to the recycling center basically as a way to get products. Um, And then when I got there, I saw they had such a mass of, single shoes that they got donated that they couldn't do anything with that that's when it just took me off on a whole tangent down using using their single shoe products basically which doesn't make your life much easier when you're trying to make a pair of shoes and how do you decide like to what extent you clean the trainers like is because obviously you want to leave some form of remnants as well yeah definitely so once I've it's we have more of a a better system now than when when I started working with trade I just took you know literally any old shoe but now I'm a lot more selective with the things that I want so I can you know because we're only doing really small quantities I can make sure that I take pairs that maybe you know have interesting uppers I know that we can work with I know they'll deconstruct well I know that they have a lot of good components on so I start looking for that and then also in terms of you know how like beaten up or how dirty they are you can also make a judgment of like is this going to be worth it or is this like not you know not the right shoe for this particular project and quite often you find that either the uppers are falling apart or the soles are falling apart but not both so sometimes I can use the soles but not the uppers and sometimes I can use the uppers but not the soles so once I get back get them back to the studio yeah we kind of we clean everything you know so it's sterilized and clean and um, we can use it but often you get those marks through the deconstruction process because when you start taking the shoes off even though you've cleaned the product, the say for example, it's a white mesh upper that will be stained in some way that when you take off, I don't know, say a swoosh from the side, you're still going to get that like faint remnants of where it used to be. So you get really nice kind of patinas and marks without you know leaving too much like dirt on there, which is good. So how do you make sure that there's a durability and wearability because they're, they're like functional sculptures? So is there a certain process that you sort of build a foundation for them as well? Yeah, definitely. It's actually something that quite often people ask me, you know, like, oh, can I really wear those? And I think it's I always find it interesting because I came from a traditional, you know, footwear background. Like I know how to to make a shoe. So it is always really important to me that the products are wearable, even though I do sit kind of in this world that's between like art and sculpture and fashion and product so even though I'm kind of on the precipice of that I think you know a sneaker is a functional product and it also a shoe in general is you know kind of a vessel like it doesn't serve a purpose unless it's worn so I think it's important for me that the sh- that the shoes are worn. So, um, so yeah, we make sure that we obviously build them in a way that we're using still all those traditional footwear techniques to make sure everything like is structurally sound but then it's like almost like the outer shell that's the the kind of playful element and everything like that all the internal construction is um still works 
there's a whole sort of like collector culture within the sneaker industry. So you wouldn't be interested in, you, you kind of want all of them to be worn rather than displayed. Yeah, I do. Although some of my clients, you know, they do buy the sneakers to maybe put on their shelf and not wear or like have on display or have as a talking point or like have as a, you know, something like that. But I do, yeah. I want to make sure they're all wearable. What the what my clients kind of do with them at the end, I can't really do much with. But uh, yeah, I think when people send me, because I do two different services. So I have the legacy pairs, which are where, what you were talking about, where clients can send me their old sneakers. So when people send me those, sometimes they do send me ones that are lightly worn or maybe, you know, that are have been in their like collector's addition for a long time but it's always really nice to mix those with maybe their like old beaters that they wear every day of their life and you know so you get this really interesting like juxtaposition and it kind of tells the story of their life through their sneakers which is interesting but yeah I always like the worn ones best and how much is like that you touched upon the quantity and limited quantity and obviously like those bespoke ones are one-offs but do you ever do a certain type of release where you produce a certain, I guess, like similar thing in art would be a print, a print run or an edition? Yeah, definitely. So I think what's what I find really good is when I can collaborate with partners that 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 allows me to be able to bring kind of the shoes to a wider audience. So like previous collaborations I've done with Reebok, for example, we did, you know, like. 25 pairs so it was a case where we could I was being supported by them so I could bring it to you know a wider audience or collaborating with brands where we actually make things with their factory for example with my Adidas collaboration it was you know we made it in their factories in Vietnam so it was like a way that I could get my kind of creative ideas across but then we could bring it to a wider audience so I think that's that's the most straightforward way for me to be able to bring the bring the designs to um to more people i guess i'm gonna move on to talking about the sneaker world and working with other people but in terms of like the creative process uh theo and ethan do you have any questions you want to ask yeah i was i mean i sort of had a lot of questions from what you were talking about but um in relation to the process i was just because we're actually doing a deconstruction project at the moment on our foundation oh, great sort of thinking about taking apart garments and reconstructing them but um just wondering like because we're doing a sketchbook alongside it. Um, so I was just wondering, do you do a lot of drawing alongside your process or do you do it all through sort of just putting things together and seeing what happens? Or is it a interplay of the two? Or do you draw something first and then make that? Or just, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's mostly making. So I find that my, where I'm the most creative and I can get the most ideas out is through like physically making things with my hands. So I do think, you know, especially when you're working on deconstruction projects, I use my phone so much to take pictures. And I kind of, if I'm building a sketchbook, I would, it's almost like a lot of like reference pictures with like notes over the top rather than maybe initial drawings. So I might like, for example, just grab this shoe here. Mm -hmm. I know we're on a podcast, so people can't see. <laughs> Trying to explain. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think like when I'm, you know, for example, making a shoe, I might have like loads of pieces on the table and then take a piece and think like, oh, what's it look like on the tongue? What's it look like on the side? What's it look like here? And just snap loads of pictures with my phone. And then usually I print out like, you know, when you can get like nine pictures on a page or whatever or on like preview or four pictures or whatever and just print out some of those and just write notes over the top of them or write with like tracing paper over the top. Because I think that's it's a really straightforward way to kind of get your ideas across without having to because sometimes I also feel like 
I need to draw because designers are supposed to draw things. And it always, um, sometimes it stresses me out because I think like, I don't, that's not the way that I create things. And it took me a long time to feel comfortable with the fact that this process of creating things is just as valid as any other way of making. And I actually remember when I, I used to work, I worked at Adidas for a year, which was an amazing experience. and I loved working there, but everyone there was so good at drawing. And I felt embarrassed because I felt like, oh my God, I don't want to show anyone my sketches because I didn't feel confident in them but when I started collecting like little bits and bobs and putting them under my desk and pinning things together then I slowly like got my sample from under my desk and thought oh I'm gonna put that on the corner of my desk and see if anyone says anything or like and you just get like a bit more confident and that kind of really helped me to realize that like yeah you can still kind of discuss an idea and communicate an idea really well through prototyping as well so yeah so that was quite a long-winded answer to a question but I think mostly it's mostly making and documenting and then the drawing part sometimes comes later if I do need to you know make something very technical for example or I need to send it to a factory like they they obviously need like more technical drawings and I can't just send them like a half-made prototype and be like this is the shoe um so yeah it's kind of a it's a combination of both but I think don't I know sometimes it can be daunting to make a sketchbook and sometimes I feel as well when you open like the first page like the blank page is so stressful so sometimes well, quite often I start sketchbooks from the back or like upside down, or even just from a random page in the middle, because it allows you to just do something and think, oh, it doesn't matter because it's the back. And then you do the second page and you're like, oh, it's fine because it's the back. And then before you know it, you've done 10 pages and you're like, oh, turns out this is the front. So I think that, yeah, it's it's just trying to like release the pressure a little bit from those things, which is which is important. That's really great to hear because, oh yeah, I really relate to that experience because I find the drawing, it's not my strongest area. I can find a bit of a block, but just hearing what you're saying, it sort of makes me see that there are other, other ways to it, to a final product. Yeah, there's definitely other ways. And um, as Matt mentioned earlier, with my sneaker sculpture workshop that I do, it's it's basically all about that. It's about this idea of like spontaneous creation through through making and not feeling the pressure to have to have like a final idea before you start. I think just starting to do something, once you start moving things around, you'll you'll get more ideas. It's just like that initial starting point I remember my dad always used to say to me if you don't know what to do make things out of paper because it allow it just you know paper it's like something that's throw away like you don't feel pressure you know it's not precious material so you can just like start moving something around for and then you can just scrunch it up and put it in the bin and don't worry about it so I think that sort of same idea kind of translates onto my sneaker sculpture workshop and it's just like just start doing it and then once you have something physical in front of you then you can start putting those kind of like design cogs in motion of like okay how would this actually function like how do I actually do this I'll give that a go sure. <laughs> yes do the work yeah yeah want to. <laughs> it's just a big advert for my I'd sneaker sculpture that, workshop yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if you with your like bespoke projects and stuff do you take any input from the people that are giving you the trainers or is it all up to you yeah definitely it's, it's actually really interesting because I think some clients want to give a lot of input and some don't want to give any so it really depends it's, it's so nice because it's such a personal service so I can kind of allow them to 
see how they want it to roll out like we have we kind of have a, a schedule in place and usually if people send me their old shoes then we do we can do like a 20 minute consultation so I do like a zoom consultation with them they can talk to me about their shoes and then it's super nice as well because they can maybe say to me like oh this I don't know mark on the toe is from where I spilt a Jaeger bomb on it or like this is <laughs> from where I don't know where I scuffed something or I was at a gig or I did something and like tell me some like personal stories connected to their shoes which is so nice because then that allows me when I have the shoes in the studio I can make sure that I'm referencing those when I'm like putting the bits back together so I really like that side of things but in terms of the design I try and most people just let me get on with it which can also be really stressful sometimes because it's like a lot of pressure. You know, you just cut up someone's, I don't know, like off-white Jordans or something. And then you, it's all up to me to put it back together in a way that, you know, you think that they'll appreciate it. But I think most people that kind of invest in the made-to-order feel comfortable that I'm going to do it okay. Do you ever get a selection of shoes that you're just like, this isn't going to work and like have to either incorporate other shoes or ask them to give you another pair or do you always find a way most of the time I find a way but I think it depends if there's less shoes so I say to people to send between two and six pairs because one I can do it with one pair but usually that would be where I'd have to uh, include other shoes as well that are maybe from our stock whereas if we did yeah if if someone sends for example six pairs there's so many pieces in there that there's going to be a way that we can make it work together. And the only thing sometimes that can be challenging is the colorway. If they're like a lot of the shoes are, you know, a lot of like mismatching colorways, then it's hard to kind of find a cohesive way for it to look. But sometimes that also works because that's kind of the point. So it's um, so far everything has worked and I haven't had any where I've really thought I cannot include this shoe. So it's been okay. <laughs> Has anyone ever sent a pair of Crocs? No, but I am obsessed with collecting baby Crocs from trade because whenever I go... They do a lot of collaborations as well, don't they? I know, Cro yeah. yeah. And I think with Crocs, there's always Crocs at um, the recycling centres because, and especially baby ones. And I love collecting. I have like a little pile of my downstairs of things that I just like to collect and I don't know what to do with and I have loads of baby crocs in there because I think there's there's going to be a project in there somewhere I just haven't worked out what it is yet with your like you're saying when you consult the people who hand in trainers and stuff if there's certain aspects that you find interesting like you're saying like if they're scuffed from when they went to a show or something like that do you ever like focus on those elements and try and base the shoes around that sort of um like theme yeah I try to so yeah say for example so quite a lot of clients that send me shoes are like artists I've had quite a few fine artists so they maybe have like paint splatters for example on their shoes so that's really nice because you can um when you deconstruct the pieces you see them all laid out there and you might think like oh this toe piece you know has loads of like red paint on it so when I'm kind of designing the shoe because everything is designed through making so it's all quite spontaneous usually what happens is I walk around the studio like holding this piece like this thinking where am I going to put this in the shoe like this is important and it needs to go somewhere special so yeah if there if there is stories like that that I think it's important that I want to add those bits in then um, I always make sure that they're like featured on the shoe in a way that makes makes sense for the design but also makes sense for the kind of client story. What about um, like flip-flops or sliders is that something that you've ever been involved? 
got I've got a few flip-flops as well in the basket of things to do stuff with but yeah again it's it's interesting because obviously the materials are different you have a lot of like you know EVA foams or you've got like PU so it's not materials that I could easily put into like a sneaker design but I could do something specific with them which which could be really interesting and I did when I collaborated with Melissa on a couple of years back the that was really cool because they their shoes are all made from like injection molding um, plastic so it was such a different process because you had to think about you had to think about the final look so far in advance and it was quite hard for me because usually you know I'm changing things right up till the last second but you had to you know they have to make like steel molds so once the mold was made there was no chance I could I could change anything so that was really interesting to work with those like plastic molded components so I think there's definitely a chance to do something more with that and I'll just keep collecting my basket of flip-flops until that happens do, do you ever so interested do you ever like embellish the shoe after you make it or do you try to keep it just to the the, the um, original parts of the shoe do you ever add any I don't know embroidery or something to change the mark? not really I usually just try and keep because we use like a lot of kind of stitching details like the zigzag stitch and quite like a heavy thick thread when we stitch the shoe together anyway it kind of has that like patchwork aesthetic to it that I think I think is they've already got quite a lot going on so I think I don't need to add yeah, too much exactly. more um, <laughs> but then we add we have all our like Helen Kirk and branding so we have like our woven labels that we put on everything we also have just introduced on our new collection we have these uh, infographic labels that go on the tongue which usually you find on the lining of the tongue basically but we stitch them onto the the front of the tongue and it has like all your sizing information and it also has on there your unique code so each sneaker has its own unique code which is made up of the client's initials and then also the number of recycled components that's gone into the shoe so it would be like hk 54 or something and then it means that in that pair of shoes there's 54 recycled components so with with when you're making shoes as well are there certain like techniques they use where you can't go back after you've done something or is it all just freestyled up until like the, the end product it's kind of with the upper I can it obviously is planned it's not just like me just like throwing anything at the shoe and hoping that it works I, like obviously I am you know kind of planning planning out to some extent but I think with the nature of kind of how I work it allows you to kind of make mistakes and go back because it all adds to kind of the energy of the final product um once the upper's complete and you're going through the motions of you know adding the lining and putting this glue in the sole on and all that sort of thing then you can't really go back after that so i think when it's the upper it's almost like a canvas that you can keep like adding on and playing with kind of like a collage or like a painting almost and then once i'm like right that's my shoe then it's like all systems go and I can't change anything after that, which is probably the most like stressful moment of making a shoe. Okay. Uh, I was going to talk a bit about the, the sort of world of sneakers and, oops, did you have your hand up? Oh, no, sorry. I was okay. moving the mic. So I was going to talk a bit about the world of sneakers and, and sort of where you position yourself on that. So when I first made contact with you, you were in a fashion week in Milan, I believe. And I was wondering if, if stuff like sneaker conventions would be something you'd get involved with or is that something you'd try and keep a distance from because you may be responding to that world that sort of world that seems to be getting huge and in in some cases quite saturated i guess like when you've got a big like reselling market as well and like things like stockx so yeah it's quite a lot there so i'm sort of wondering where you sort of position yourself there 
in terms of like sneaker culture and where, where it's at now and if you had any thoughts on that I think for me it's really interesting because it is kind of exactly that it's like I'm in the world but I'm also kind of commenting on it and I'm also on the edge of it so it's like a, it's an interesting place to be but I do actually find it super interesting to be kind of in those spaces because especially because like we were saying earlier you know you have uh, sneakerheads and collectors and people that are so into specific models that I do find it really interesting to get their reaction to things especially if I've taken you know a Jordan 4 and just cut it all up and then somebody doesn't like that at all but it's interesting to see like people's reaction so um, I'm always yeah I like to be in those spaces and I think also a lot of what I'm doing is you know commenting on this idea of newness and overconsumption. And I think that I actually find it really important for the business and for the brand to kind of get people's reaction that are extremely driven by hype and newness. Because if I can get in a space where the sneakers are appreciated by that audience, then that shows like a, a real shift in mindset into something that's, you know, moving towards a business model that maybe is, you know, can sustain the future of, you know, what's happening with the planet and everything else that's going wrong yeah and you wrote a, a read you wrote a dissertation on your resume about how the trainers become acceptable form of footwear in everyday life which is quite interesting as well and do you think like did co- i god i've I heard... thought about that in a long time <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe maybe i just made that up yeah but, i think i did but yeah yeah i was going to ask do you think do, do cobblers repair trainers or is it just shoes because i mean it's become such a sort of everyday thing like and i love it because it's it's so much more comfortable being able to wear trainers every day yeah yeah cobblers actually a lot of cobblers now can repair some trainers so it depends what's wrong with them but what I find super interesting is like when I go to trade the shoes often a lot of the shoes that are there in the recycling centers will have like a hole where the big toe is especially if they're like a knitted upper and it's just yeah so things like that like cobblers can put like a patch they can you know it's it's not maybe the most glamorous form of fixing but like there is ways to to fix them and same with resoling sometimes they can add like leather patches on like worn you know heel um outsoles and things like that so they definitely i think i've noticed that if people aren't bringing their you know leather shoes and brown shoes to be fixed then i think cobblers want to see how they can react with like the mar- the current market and, and what people are wearing so yeah i think there's a lot of really interesting things in there to do with repair and do with how we can kind of help people to understand that that's that's a possibility and that's something that I'm also really interested in exploring with the brand as well I guess in that terms of like that sort of worn out designed but worn out aesthetic as well yeah and I think that's the thing that's something that I find really interesting because when I first graduated in 2016 people got really interested in what I was doing and like this kind of deconstructed and worn aesthetic became like a really big trend and that was really kind of difficult to deal with because I felt like a lot of brands were picking up on the aesthetic, but not actually the meaning and like the thought process behind the project. So I think it's important for me to make sure that I keep showcasing that this isn't, you know, something trend driven. It's coming from a lot much more sincere place than that. And I think that it's I'm getting much more you know recognition I guess for that now and people in the mainstream are starting to realize that you know just being driven by newness and commerce isn't necessarily the answer. Are you feeling quite optimistic about big brands sort of going more sustainable I guess in in that sense? 
I feel I've literally just come back from COP26. I was there yesterday. Um, So I was there with the British Fashion Council kind of showcasing like what interesting brands are doing in terms of sustainability, which was really nice to be invited there and be part of that. But I do think we're definitely it's an uphill struggle there's no two ways about it that you know fashion is such a a massive polluter and I think everybody needs to do their bit to kind of get on board with that and I think I feel optimistic because I think I'm surrounded by you know an amazing selection of designers and you know London-based creatives that are using post-consumer waste that are using you know dead stock materials so there's a massive energy here around recycling which is so exciting I think it's just um getting it out into the world into like tangible things that people can start to replace or start to change their attitudes and mindsets and I think also with my work I'm always trying to I just showcase like potentially a different mindset and kind of show you know maybe when somebody like dms me and they say oh you know I was going to throw my shoes away but instead I changed the laces or I cut a bit off or I stuck a bit on or I painted it or I did something and it because I was inspired by you, that is as much a success to me as somebody, you know, buying a made to order, because I think that showcases that the, you know, the work I'm doing is not just for, for the sake of products. It's like something more than that, which, um, which is quite exciting. Yeah. Out of interest, when you started this process of um, deconstructing and using like disused shoes, were you consciously thinking about environmental concerns or was that was there another reason why you chose to do that in the first place? And then it evolved into more of like a philosophy, I guess. Um, just interested in, yeah, was it? Yeah, I think for me, it started off, um, it really started off because nobody would give me their shoes. So okay. I was like, right, <laughs> I need to get shoes from somewhere. So I'm going to go to a recycling center and get them. But I've always been, you know, kind of driven by like sustainability and cared about the planet and all that sort of thing. So I think when I got there and I saw this you know, these massive bins of single shoes that they can't do anything with. I thought, right, there's something in this that's that's more than just for the sake of deconstructing sneakers. It's something more important than that. So that was kind of where it started. And then uh, I was also really interested in like people's stories and how we attach products to have emotional value. And I think especially within sneakers, there's something that's very sentimental and like even when they are battered and falling apart you know people don't want to give them up and they don't you know even if they don't wear them anymore they still like have some sort of attachment to them so I think that side of things really drew me into kind of post-consumer waste as well because it kind of it tells a deeper story than you know a raw virgin material so I think that side of things drew me in the fact that there was this resource there and then also within the sneaker industry, this kind of like obsession with newness. So I think all of those things together just kind of pushed me in this path to, to present the industry with something different and see, see what happened and how it's still going. <laughs> yeah, because when I look at your like shoes and your work, I can sort of envisage like a future world where like everyone is just wearing like clothes completely, yeah, just mismatched pieces and That'd be great to know like there's so much material to work with right like why do we need to create <laughs> definitely create stuff? Yeah. yeah oh that's so good to hear <laughs> i'm glad there's you know inspiring uh what was uh working with takashi murakami like um did you meet him as well was that yeah so th- i was actually going to mention that earlier when you said about you know complex con and that because that project was really interesting and that was kind of the first time that i did present the shoes in that very 
hyper commercial space and I really had no idea how they were going to be received you know whether people um, would be interested in them in them or not so that project sneakers for breakfast was basically yeah Takeshi kind of chose a, a group of us sneaker designers and wanted to create this space where we all made a product inspired by whatever we want but obviously we all were inspired by his work so we all just did it like as a reflection of what he's kind of created in this world that he's created so it was really cool for me because I used all post-consumer waste you know so it's all old sneakers and I think going back to what I was saying earlier about this story I remember there's on one of the shoes there was like a pink tongue and it had somebody's handwriting in biro it said Megan R like on the lining of the tongue it was like a little girl's shoe and I loved these tongues and I made two pairs so I made one pair for Complex Con which we auctioned for charity and then another pair for Takeshi to wear at Complex Con and that pair I put the Megan R tongues on his shoes and I thought it's just incredible that like I've collected these sneakers from this recycling center that have had a life with this little girl called Megan who's then you know her family or whoever's donated the shoes they've ended up in my hands and now they're on the feet of Takeshi in LA and then after that the the sneakers went on to be exhibitioned he did an exhibition of all his costumes so then they were in Hong Kong at at an exhibition and it's just that is what I love about like how post-consumer waste can like tell like a long longevity and a story around products so yeah that that was a super cool project to work on and he's yeah he's just an amazing character i just wanted to ask about like like how soon after your like graduation from the ma did you start your own label and like what was was that a difficult process or were you working with other people before that um so I worked straight after my MA, I went and I worked at Adidas for a year. So I was um, based in Nuremberg, which is where their headquarters are. And I was working for the Originals women's team. So that was really cool because I had um, a year of experience in industry. But that's basically my only industry experience, apart from internships. After I finished at Adidas, I did some consultancy. And then I yeah set up the studio straight away pretty much after that so I came back and I was kind of consulting I was working for like friends brands I was doing shoes for like my friends from RCA's you know showcases and things like that so I guess when when I was working full-time I, I just had the feeling that what I'd started at RCA wasn't finished and that there was something important that I had to say and I think going back to what I was saying earlier about you know other people kind of picking up on the aesthetic I felt like I was losing control a little bit of like what my idea was. So I, I kind of made the decision to come back and think like, look, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I basically said to myself, I'll give myself a year and see how it goes. And that was in you know 2017. So then it got to 2018. I was like, right, I'm still doing okay. I'll give myself another year and I'll see how it goes again. And now it's nearly 2022. <laughs> so yeah, I think I never had, I never kind of had like a concrete plan, but I, yeah, worked. I worked a lot for free, you know, for friends, for just trying to understand what it was that I was trying to do and like build up a bit of like presence and a bit of a portfolio. And then it was really the project with Takeshi and also the Timberland project, Construct 10061 that we did, which were my first like big projects where I was able to kind of showcase myself. And that was like 2018. And then from then everything just spiraled. And then I had collaborations and, and now it's now. 
<laughs> and, what, and what's next for you? Have you got any projects or shows lined up or anything besides the commissions that you have lined yeah, so we just showcased obviously in September our, for our first time at London Fashion Week, which was really exciting. So we showed kind of like a relaunch of our made to order products. So we'll be showing again in February, hopefully, if everything goes to plan and kind of showing the next iteration of what's happening next within the brand, which is really exciting because things are you know moving in a good direction and we're starting to... Um, yeah, move forward with a bit of speed, which feels good. So we've got that. And then we have, yeah, a couple of other collaborations, which are I can't talk about yet, but they're, yeah, some really exciting good ones coming up um, the end of this year and the start of next year. So yeah, I think things are looking good. Excellent. I've just got a couple more to ask, but have you guys got anything you want to ask? Oh, yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got something. Um, so I'm just interested in, in the like creative process when you're making new shoes. And I was just, I saw on... It might have been your website or on the Instagram page that um like you work with loads of different types of, you know, brands, like you've got Nike shoes and Prada shoes and stuff. And I was just wondering when like a certain type of shoe comes in, does it affect the like overall aesthetic of the pair? Like if you have a pair of Prada shoes where you keep it sort of will you use any you know, of their type of looks and silhouettes and stuff, or you just make it a whole new thing every time i try not to get too lured into what the brands are because i think that kind of in a way like that a lot of the beauty of my work is like that kind of naivety a bit to the kind of hierarchy of brands i think especially because i collect a lot of stuff from recycling centers you know when i'm there i could get some sometimes you do get some gems and you get some good designer pieces and sometimes you just get you know some non-brand sneakers that still have really interesting pieces on so I like to deconstruct everything and kind of look at the pieces a little bit devoid of the branding because I think that allows me to be a bit more subjective I guess to the way that I put it together and I'm not so because it can be especially with the Prada that was a a made to order for a client and he sent me these you know Prada shoes and I was like Hmm. crikey like this is yeah this is quite (laughs) stressful but at the same time it was important to make sure I got all the branding in that that he'd sent me because they're all like his shoes that mean something to him, but also to make sure I still give it that like HK feeling. And it's not, it doesn't, there's no Mm -hmm. point me, you know, just deconstructing it and then making another shoe that looks like a Prada shoe because that's not, you know, that's not what people come to me for. So sometimes it can be hard because you really feel, you know, you might have like an amazing bit of branding and you're like looking around like, where can I stick this bit of branding? But I try and just like let that, kind of feeling just like wash over me a little bit and then if it works within the design it works and if it doesn't then it's not meant to be in there so yeah because otherwise I think when if I start you know caring too much about the brands then I'm never going to stitch anything together (laughs) would it affect it too much like I think so if you're taking too much note of yeah and I think it's like it's not I guess that's kind of not really what it's about. Like, it's nice for people to be able to recognise the brands in there, but I think I always try and make sure that I don't put stuff back in the obvious place, I suppose. So that's kind of how I try and get around it. Uh, so I ask all my guests what your dream art school would consist of. If there was, like, any specific lessons you'd have, like, anything you can think back to what potentially would have been missing when you went, or just, yeah, uh, any, maybe guest speakers even, or just workshops that you think are really important. I think the dream art school has life drawing lessons. They were always my favorite lessons. And I think that like that's so vital and it's just such, yeah, such an incredible thing to do. So I think definitely life drawing. I think um, have a good SU 
very important because yeah, I remember definitely. at RCA so many collaborations were kind of initiated so many friends were made in the SU and I think it's just like it's yeah those I think what you don't realize a lot of the time when you're a student is like those when people say like oh build a network or what's a net and you're like what the hell is a network and it's basically just your friends you know from other courses from other people and then as you go through life and through your career together you suddenly think like oh I remember this guy from RCA that did graphic design I'm going to ask him to do this thing and da 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 and that's like how you build it's basically how you build how I've built the business out from you know just being being kind and being friends with people so I think definitely good SU yeah life drawing and then I remember from my BA we had our individual um, like studio spaces and that was so nice and I remember that they I think at one point that got stopped and our year were really lucky because we had it for the full three years. And I think having like a little zone where you can like put stuff up on the wall is so important and it kind of helps you to build like your identity as a designer, I think. So I think they would be my main things. And then just having like loads of stuff everywhere, just supplies, you know, like loads of wire and clay and paint and I think that is just you know the more resources that you have to be able to experiment in different ways I think especially when you're at art school is is the best yeah we're very lucky we still have studio spaces here so that's nice such a good oh, night. So it's fun. so important I think yeah I love it and you don't get that everywhere so I think it's definitely no. make the most of that and um put all your ideas up on the wall because I think sometimes like even here I have you know loads of like inspiration just in front of my desk actually a little baby not a crock but <laughs> a little baby shoe here which is my most recent inspiration um but I think yeah just being able to have those things in front of you you know when you feel fed up and you're just like sat and you're just looking around and then there's something will like spark some inspiration so I think it's a really good way to keep you in the spirit of you know what you're what you're there for yeah sorry if it's like too big a question or too vague and I know you've touched on it a bit but like is there any do you have any like advice for like young designers starting out on the design journey like I don't know anything that you think is an important thing to keep in mind or I was going to ask that one too. oh okay cool <laughs> thank you <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think, well, going back to what I was saying earlier about network, I think that's super important. I always say to people, you know, be kind and be enthusiastic, because I think that if there's someone, if there's a designer that you like, or even, you know, in your peer group on a different course to you, if there's something that people are doing that you like, be enthusiastic about it, you know, tell them you think it's amazing, like say, because that along with being kind and being being a nice person can get you such a long way because I think it's just, you know, treating people how how you want to be treated is, is quite straightforward. But I think, you know, when someone slides in my DMs and says like, oh, I just wanted to tell you like what you're doing is amazing because this and that and whatever, it is, it encourages you to keep going. And I think it also, and I equally, I do that to everyone. I'm always sliding into people's DMs with a voice note, which I don't know if people <laughs> appreciate or not. But it's you know, yeah, just to yeah. say like, oh, I love what you, I love this collaboration or I love this project that you did. Because, um, yeah, I just think it's important. And so I think that. And then otherwise, I think just to find what it is that inspires you or what's, what it is that keeps, that drives you. And don't worry if that's not the same as what you already see in the world or what you think you should be doing. Because 
I think that the more you can focus on like what drives you, the more you can kind of hone in what exactly you're supposed to be doing in the world and what you're what you're here for. And I remember seeing once a another Instagram live and this guy who was American. So he said niches, not niches, but he said niches make riches. <laughs> and I was like, that I've stuck by that because I think the more niche you can be and the more you the more you can be an expert in your field the more people need you. And that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Brilliant. That's way. Thank you. <laughs> I was I was just wondering, like, how you talked about keeping inspiration around you and having things on the wall and stuff. I was wondering, like, keep in touch with the latest things and, like, are going on, like, the sneaker community and world. Or do you, like, try and stay away from it? Yes and no. I think I, I kind of see it because it's important to know what's happening and kind of know, you know, where people are going and how trends are moving. So I think it's important to see, but I think it's also important to have other references that are outside of like the industry that you're in. So quite a lot of my references always come from fine art, come from sculpture. And I think that's, again, what I was saying earlier, you know, something that I'm personally interested in. So you always see those things come through. But I think, yeah, it's important to know about the trends, but I think also not letting them influence you. You know, if there's a if there's something specific that you're set on, I think if it feels true and genuine to you, then it's likely that other people will also resonate with it. So just do it anyway. So like keep it in mind, but not not focus on it too much. Yeah, I think so. And I think you, uh, somebody who I always think about is Daniel Arsham. I don't know if you know his um, work, but I think when you see his work, you know, he's the only one in that space doing what he's doing, really. But his references, he's not referencing, or sometimes he is re referencing sculpture, but he's usually referencing, you know, game design, referencing cars, referencing, you know, like Pokemon or whatever it is, like anime, all those sort of things. So you can, you see so clearly that his design identity is created by what he's interested in. And I think that that is... Yeah, the more you kind of, the more you big up what you're interested in, the more you, clearer your identity will become, I think. Mm. I've got a tin of um, Daniel Arsham Heinz soup at home. Oh, happy. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't, I need to get something. I feel like I'm always referencing him, but I don't yeah. own anything. It's tough to get his stuff sometimes because it, his yeah. website crashes, but it's, I know. Yeah, it's great, great stuff. And it's nice when artists can make stuff slightly more affordable than the sort of, you know, freeze art fair market and make stuff that can go into the homes of people that maybe wouldn't necessarily collect art as well, which is nice. Definitely, yeah. Cool. Well, have you guys got anything else you want to ask? Um, I'm good. Okay. Well, in that case, thanks so much to Helen, Ethan and Theo for joining us. You can find out more about the great work Helen does at helenkirkham.com. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank really you. Oh, it's great to chat to you guys. You too. Cool. <laughs> Amazing. Wanting to learn more about medieval art and architecture? At the Morley College Waterloo Centre, you can learn about the carvings, statues, manuscripts, paintings, and buildings for a better understanding of the past and to explore the rich, vivid, and the sophistication of the 9th to 14th century artwork. 
To find out more, visit the Morley College website at www.morleycollege.ac.uk and search Medieval Art and Architecture.